Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. Buckle up. You're in for a treat with this episode. So our book called From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation is out and it features 11 former podcast guests from my podcast who we hand-selected, hand-picked to be featured in the book. Um, this episode that you're about to hear is a compilation of clips from those podcast episodes. So these are special guests uh, that are featured in the book and you're going to get four to six minutes of uh, audio from the podcast episode uh, where we had these these special guests on. Um, there's a reason we handpicked these guests. There's a reason we handpicked them for this episode and the book. This one is, is special. Please take a listen. I hope you love it. I hope you buy the book. Buy a copy for a friend. Share this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur? Then this show is for you. Each week, we bring you impactful stories of real people who have overcome painful human adversity to create a life of abundance. A life of abundance. You are not alone in your struggle. Join us and you will experience the power of true stories and gain practical knowledge from founders who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. This podcast will encourage you through your health, relationship, and financial challenges so you can become the hero in your quest for freedom. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live. Turn your adversity into abundance. For me, it was like, oh, wow, you know, I was just grateful that I was still there, mm -hmm. right? So um, it was shock, um, and then it was really, I felt like it was it was a setup. A lot of different things were going through my mind. So I was able mm -hmm. to uh, remove myself from that element um, for a long period of time, and I went through a healing process, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I went through trust issues. I went through a whole bunch of stuff. And it really took, I would say, probably about two years for me really to understand what happened and how did it help me, hmm. right? Because it turned me into a beast, really, with the real estate, because now that that next six months after I got shot, I was working from home, except 9-11 happened that same year. 
um, that September, I got shot in March, that September 9-11. Uh, it was all these different things that happened that just made me stronger, um, made me more focused, made me more grateful. You know, I would walk around and say, this person is probably not even grateful that they can tie their shoes. They can bend over and tie their shoes, but I had staples in my stomach. So, or this person is not even grateful that they get to use the bathroom. And this small stuff, it yeah. really made me become grateful for the little things and appreciate mm -hmm. everything. Sure. And I was just like, wow, I never really appreciate this appreciated the smaller things so much mm -hmm. to really put the things into perspective. So yeah. that's when I became grateful for the situation and started to use that, um, you know, use that energy to kind of drive me through it. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Yeah. 2008 came and I hey, lost $2 million in my money. Well, I lost $2 million in my own money oh. and basically had to press the reset button because after that, then I got divorced and, you know, uh, that was the best thing that happened to me as well. Because again, the circle of people that I was around was around me for the things that I had, not because of who I was. Mm -hmm. So that was a materialistic phase of my life um, that I went through, coming from where I was at, didn't have anything, then getting into real estate, getting everything, feeling like God, you know, being materialistic, having the wrong people around you, right? Mm -hmm. um, where if you're the smartest one in the room, then you know, that's the problem. So that happened where that kind of shifted, where I was able to, you know, again, get out of that circle I was in mm -hmm. and then go deeper within myself. So from that part, losing money, getting divorced, um, you know, getting custody of my boys, trying to get rid of whatever real estate I had to survive and everything else, going within myself, that helped me a great deal because I started getting into meditation. I started getting into a daily ritual and doing things to build up myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that really was a game changer for me also. Mm -hmm. So those two situations really built the foundation for, for who I am today. So another situation I was grateful, even though I lost you know, a bunch of money, really, it was really um, showing me that it was more than the money because I was a slave of money. I was chasing money. Mm -hmm. right? I, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. When my former wife would say, hey, let's push the stroller and walk the kid to the park. I said, I'm not doing that. That's your job. I got to go deal with these clothes and I got to do this and do that. I'm getting this money. I'm paying the bills. You do that. When the reality is, you know, as we know now, family is first, right? Your kids grow up really fast and you only have mm -hmm. 18 summers with them. So every moment you get with them from the time they're born to you know, they become teenagers and start hanging with their friends. You want to yeah. really uh, value those moments. Really what I've come to learn is that, you know, obesity is, is a symptom of these deeper underlying emotional sorts of problems, right? And like, it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. The inside reflects the outside and the outside reflects the inside, right? So mm -hmm. that's really good. It's, it's really hard for me to just kind of pinpoint one or two specific things that happened, right? You know, but I was sure. just... I was in a chronically negative state is, is how I would describe it. But yeah. what was really challenging is, is if you're in a chronically negative state, you don't necessarily realize you're in a chronically mm -hmm. negative state, you know, much in the way the, the, the fish doesn't see the, you know, you know, water that it's in, right. <laughs> if this is just how you experience life, you yeah. don't necessarily realize that, you know, this is different. You know, yeah. if you would have told me, 
you know, if you would have asked me what anxiety was in my mid twenties, I wouldn't have been able to tell you, let alone identify and say, Oh, I'm, I have chronic anxiety problems. Right. Because that sure. was just, that was just life as I knew it. That and, was you your know, default. Right. And yeah. And, and that was just how I experienced life, you know, and, sure. and I really never would have thought that a, a life that I'm living now, you know, with the sort of energy and, and the emotion that I feel on a day-to-day basis, I, I didn't even realize that something like that was possible for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, there was always a part of me for some reason that that was optimistic, right? You know, and, and I would say I was in a chronically negative state, but I always had some optimism about me and, and I always kind of knew that it would, it would work out, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I just, I stuck with it, you know, as best as I could, you know, there, there were certainly lots of adversity along the way, right? I I lost the same 75 pounds three times, right? So, you know, I did it once in high school and then I ended up gaining all the weight back again, you know, and it's, it's really demoralizing to, to put in all that work and put in all that effort and, and reach a goal, right? And then just have it just kind of slip through your fingers and vanish, you know, and it's, it's, you feel a lot of shame and embarrassment when that happens, you know, because you're just, you're failing. So publicly people are are, are seeing you and and Mm -hmm. seeing what you're going through. Right. So, you know, you know, these sorts of things are, 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 are are tough to overcome. And, you know, it's, this is why it it took me so long to to do it, but, you know, part of me just, just never gave up and, you know, always knew that there was a way out. I just needed to, to, to keep trying to do better every day, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, educate myself more, you know, just, just try to do more with, with what energy I had at the time. And, and, you know, that's, this is how I got to the place where I am now. Yeah, no, it's really good. I mean, it just, yeah, it sounds like you, you just got, um, like probably a lot of people can identify with you got on into a mental pattern of this is my default. This is who I am. This is my identity. Um, and for those who, you know, are listening or, you know, are going to watch this on YouTube, even go back and look at, at, at Matt's, you know, like your Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I've seen them before and after, and it's, it's like HGTV pictures, you know, people love that in real estate. It's like the the before and after pictures are amazing, but there's so much work that went into that, that, you know, that's easy to gloss over. So I, I, uh, I just have a ton of respect for your transformation and, and, and this time keeping it off. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. Um, so Okay. So you lost the weight a couple of times, regained it a couple of times, and then, and then have kept it off for coming up on five years. You said, I believe, um, what's been the difference this time. So what I realized was I needed to make a plan, right? Because I, I, I lost weight again in my mid twenties and I really educated myself a lot about fitness and nutrition. Right. And I, I taught myself all this stuff and I did it in a really intelligent way. And then I, I, I kind of realized, I thought then at least that, okay, my, my problems are solved, right? I have all this knowledge now. Um, and, you know, I didn't have this knowledge before, but now I know how to eat. I know what protein, fat, and carbohydrates are, all, all this stuff. And I'm like, great, I did it. My problem is solved. Well, knowledge is useless if you don't apply it, right? <laughs> so I, I had the knowledge, but I stopped applying it, you know, and I dealt with some some adversity, right, to, to keep in the theme of the show. Yeah. I had some, some, some more emotional trauma. I suffered an injury, you know, and, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm back being fat again. And, you know, it took me eight years to kind of get around to, to doing it again, because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an overwhelming proposition, you know, you know, trying to lose a, a large amount of fat, as I'm sure many people can, can relate to. Um, there I was, um, you know, doing my, my paying my bills and then after finishing that long shift, 
at the hospital and and I just got I got I got home and I realized that wow that the, the neighbor is paying mortgage is paying my mortgage so that was a nice feeling to have you know um but then I was like and it was I was single then and I was like well someday I won't be able to go to work you know age or anything could happen I mean I was mm-hmm. making good hospital and mm-hmm. I was working really long hours but I realized that if I don't go to work, I wasn't going to be making any money. That that was, uh, it, I needed to be present to make that money, right? Yeah. And and I realized that someday I might not, for whatever reason, be able to. And I saw the possibility of having the cash flow from investments, like putting the money to work, and then the money was making more money. So I figured if I do more of this, <laughs> then I can <laughs> this side, right? Um, and so that, that really was how I got, started thinking about it um and and growing up in mexico the duplex theme wasn't a thing you know the, the we don't mm-hmm. have duplex we either have mm-hmm. um, a house that is occupied by generations <laughs> first yeah. floor is first kids mm-hmm. you know um and, but there's really not that kind of investment so mm-hmm. I, I was lucky uh, that my my uh, agent offer me because I told him I'm not looking for something big I want a house for me something just me and mm-hmm. some, something else that I can you know have a roommate mm-hmm. and use the concept of the duplex, duplex so having that mentality I thought well if I buy more duplexes then I can then you know reduce my hours or not have to go to work and mm-hmm. and I looking into it and when I deployed I actually spent a lot of time learning on how how does that real estate can actually build your wealth and, mm-hmm. and how, uh, you can scale it. And so that's when I learned about syndications and how you can okay. do. Now, where, where did you deploy? Um, I was in uh, Djibouti, Africa. Okay. Gotcha. I wasn't expecting that answer. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, and people say, how, how'd you have time to do that when you were deployed? And, you know, I was deployed to Iraq and it's, even though you're busy a lot, you still have downtime and you don't have, you know, 24 seven, you're not busy with work. So what are you going to do with that downtime? And I actually started, uh, started a second degree because it was like, all right, I don't know what, what else, what, why not? (laughs) Um, and that was before remote learning was so popular, but, um, yeah, but 2006, you said is when you got started, right. In real estate. Yes. So, Uh I mean, that's, you know, the internet was obviously around, but I don't think bigger pockets was a thing. And, you know, you didn't have all these books and all these resources. So that's, that's impressive. Um, you know, cause it wasn't until much later that we really went full on with, you know, cause there's podcasts and, and yes. things staring you in the face with, uh, how to learn and how to, how to grow your network. So, um, Sounds like you did it more th- locally through oh you know through your agent and then started to scale from there. Is that fair to say? Yes, yes. Um, when I came back, I, I uh, have saved uh, a lot of money from you know my my, my income was non taxable and like you said, when you're mm-hmm. deployed, they provide all your meals, everything. There's no nowhere you can spend the money and yeah. uh, all of that. When I came back, I was looking for more duplexes. And then, uh, you know, a fourplex came along and I'm like, wait, uh, my goal was to buy one, one home a year, one house a year. And, uh, 
and then I was like, wow, I can buy four. <laughs> you know, a family relationship with a very strong emotional relationship with mm -hmm. um, the things that weren't resolved weren't resolved not by my choice they were mm -hmm. because she wasn't able to deal with those mm -hmm. in in her yeah. um, you know her situation and, and mm -hmm. that's that's unfortunate you know to sure. have somebody that that goes through that but for me you know having your friend I don't think I've ever I'll ever fully recover from that I think and you know it, it definitely inexorably changed me because you never want to feel that pain again mm -hmm. when somebody's pulled away from you. So, you know, it, it's hard to really develop deep relationships after you've been hurt so deeply. Mm -hmm. And people, look, if you're listening, you know, people, whether you're in a relationship where somebody, you break up with somebody or you're divorced or, you know, somebody dies, you know, we want to protect ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at having relationships and doing that. But at the same mm -hmm. time, you know, it's, it's painful. Um, sure. And it's also hard when you experience that depth of a relationship with somebody and it's really not possible to experience that again. What I mean hmm. is we were, we were friends through high school mm -hmm. and during very formative parts of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I won't ever be able to have that, you know, mm -hmm. that bond with somebody again. Yeah. Um, but the flip side is I'm very grateful for the time I got to spend, mm -hmm. you know, with, with all those people in my life. No, I appreciate you getting vulnerable there. I mean, it's not easy to talk about and relive. And, um, but so yeah, with, with your friend, Chris, it's like, yeah, not only <laughs> did he pass, but you, you're not, you, like you said, you're not going to be able to replicate or duplicate that. And so there's almost like a double, you know, I don't know, <laughs> it's a double hardship there. So that's, that's really, really tough. Um, and again, I don't, we're glossing over this, like it's no big yeah. deal, but it's, I appreciate that. Um, so then how did you, uh, you started to get into it a little bit. What, what did your, how did you change your mindset or how did you approach kind of the, your future from there? Yeah. So this is where, this is where you look at kind of the, um, there's, there's two ways. And I'm going to say the first way I'm going to say it, it, it might, it might sound callous, but then I'll explain. So this is where like the silver lining comes in. And what I mean is if you ever lost somebody, I'm sure the last thing that person wants is for you to go through the rest of your life and, and, and really put the brakes on anything or live less of a life because you're, you're burdened by that or not having mm -hmm. that person in, in your life. Anybody that loves you wants you to go and experience life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends say I'm lucky and I don't have to go into details, but I've had, I've had some good fortune in my life. Just look, things that have happened, things that are kind of unusual. And I say that's because I have a lot of people watching out for me because they want me, they're looking down, they want me to be successful. And I believe that. I feel like I have a positive energy, but at the same time, I feel like it's my duty to do all these things. Mm -hmm. It's my duty to, to live like this. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, the, I said, you know, I said silver lining, um, but when you lose somebody and you realize that life is finite, especially as a young person, so Jamie, I crossed 41 years old and I achieved all these things in my life. And I realized my father was 41 when he died. And I know that in the back of my head, I had this, this feeling of fatality that, you know, I had, there was things I had to get done. So mm -hmm. when you know that the time value of money has, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the, uh, the value of time right. has, has time on the bottom of the equation. So I'm an engineer by training. Yeah. Think of it that way. When you're young, you think you're going to live forever. You're going right. to live forever. And that number on the bottom is infinity. 
the value is zero, mm-hmm. right? Right. As sure. soon as you put a value or as, yes, as soon as you put an actual mm-hmm. value on that time, whether you're yeah. going to live 10 days or 10,000 days or, mm-hmm. you know, 50,000 days, whatever that number is, the value of your time goes up exponentially. Sure. Yeah. And that's what I think happens subconsciously in my mm-hmm. mind. And as soon as really once, you know, when I was an adult and Chris passed away, mm-hmm. I thought, hang on a second. I got, I got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Like I got stuff to do. I'm a serious person. I'm going to get mm-hmm. things done. And, you know, some people are like, why do you work so hard? My neighbor <laughs> was like, if you don't have to work anymore, why do you still work? Yeah. Like well, one, I enjoy it. <laughs> and yeah. it energizes me. Yeah. And two, it's my duty. I have an impact that mm-hmm. I'm here to make on this planet. First and foremost, yes, especially my dad, huge warrior. The sky was always falling. The world was always ending and the market was always crashing. Everything was going wrong all the time. <laughs> and that has been extremely difficult to get out of that sort of thinking. Um, sure. I catch myself and I'll say, wait, no, that's your dad. That's not you. That's ridiculous. Um, so I, I still struggle with that to this day. And we can talk about some of the things that have gone wrong in business up to this point. The bit, you're going to get kicks in the teeth. I'll, I'll tell you that. Sure. Um, and the second point what you just said is, is so true because it's it's not that money itself money itself is just a concept because bartering right. is difficult, but it enables all of the things that matter in life. So whether yeah. it be, you know, I live out here with my brother, I've seen my family, I'll see my parents six or seven times this year, he'll see them once. Why? Because I have money. It doesn't it doesn't <laughs> really matter. I can trade that for things that matter. I can go travel yeah. whatever I want. So money is just a tool to right. trade for the things that actually matter. So yeah. when I hear people say, oh, what's more, you know, this and that and this are more important than money. Well, that's somewhat misleading because money is the thing that enables all the things sure. that matter. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and it's like, you know, I equate money to it, it's like the Internet. It's like, is it inherently good or bad? No, um, but tool. it's ex- extremely powerful. It can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. It's just a tool and it's how you want to use it. And mm-hmm. I think to take the approach of money doesn't matter or or becoming a slave, you know, to, to that fear surrounding money that you're talking about is really yeah. not, not the, the right way to go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and judge your parents or my parents, obviously, but um, I think too many people take that kind of cop out where it's like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, I, you know, I shouldn't, money isn't, isn't uh, something to, to strive for. And so therefore I'm just gonna, you know, go the easy route and, and not, uh, not try to acquire more money, but what it can do is enable things like you just talked about and enable mm-hmm. freedom really is what and enable time freedom and, and location freedom. And, mm-hmm. um, like you were, like you were talking about. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, when someone says money doesn't matter, that's very interesting. My first question would be, well, what does your week look like when they tell me, Oh, they get up, they go to work. I would, you know, respond most, in most <laughs> cases, it sounds like money dictates everything you do all day, every day. So that's interesting because yeah, you typically, point. if you don't have it, then money controls your life. If you do have it, then you control your life. Sure. Yeah. No, that's really good. So um, what other obstacles or kind of themes that were, were difficult for you exist, existed? In other words, anything not money related uh, that you grew up with that was kind of challenging from a either human or a business uh, perspective? Um, I, I would say the biggest thing that pertains to this conversation uh, that I would want to get into would probably be just that intense fear-based scarcity mindset, right? Just the penny. So 
they never figured out how to make money. So they're just super conservative with spending money and then never got to see their, you know, their parents, my grandparents, their siblings. I'm talking about my parents. Um, That's probably the biggest one that applies to this conversation Uh, because it's so hard. You know, I, in hindsight, I have cut myself so short by having been stingy about marketing dollars. Right. I have uh, hiring people just, I have made my own life so much harder because of this. Um, So yeah, that's been a huge one for me. And it still is yep. to this day. Uh, I, I catch myself thinking very irrationally or worrying about things that I shouldn't worry about at all. You know, yep. so that's probably the biggest one. And for okay. me, self-awareness has helped the most, right? Trying to catch myself and say, hey, that's it's not you. That's just, t- you know, 20 years of hearing your dad, right? Sure. Uh, that has helped me a lot there. Okay. So take us from, uh, say 20 through 26, just kind of bring us up to speed. Sure. How did you, how did you get out of that scarcity mindset, you know, or, or attempt to anyway, mm-hmm. and then get to where you are today? What were some, some tools or tactics that, that got you where you are? Yeah, probably the two biggest things are just proceeding, taking action in spite of being afraid and uh, the people you get around, I'd say are the two biggest. So I bought that duplex in college and then moved out to Colorado, bought another house hack out here. And it was around that time that I realized, hey, the the whole low and no money down thing sounds really great. It sells a lot of courses and books and podcasts. But at the end of the day, this is a cash intensive venture. You're going to have things go wrong. If you don't have cash or or someone partnered with you who does, you're going to get yourself hurt. You're probably not going to last very long. So I started going to the real estate group that I now host out here. And okay. I met a guy who had been investing in land, building houses, apartments, commercial strip centers, et cetera, for the last 40 years. So I would drive an hour south every weekend and go work with him, work for him, and just learn. And that was how land and development came into the picture originally. Um, again, really consolidating a lot of information here. Mm-hmm. But through that, I eventually just started doing it myself. And that's where Front Range Land came about. And that has allowed me to buy more properties. Um, so again, I, I just turned 26 now. And, and that's uh, what the business is at this point. Front Range Land feeding the investing. Um, and I yeah. want to tell a story about that guy I, I just mentioned. Yeah, yeah go uh, for it. Yeah. I think I know of anyone, you know, but I'll let you know if I, if I can think of anybody. And she said, well, Beth, would you be interested? And I said, well, but Gwen, I don't have a degree and I don't have mm-hmm. any experience. And she said, well, Beth, do you have a resume? And I said, no. And so she said, well, come over Sunday. So I did. And we cobbled together what was probably the worst history, worst resume <laughs> of all time. But it got me this job, which, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot now. But it, in 2004, for me, it paid me $50,000 a year and really good benefits plus a generous commission structure. Nice. Yes. It, so, what, it, so what had changed? I'm curious, like, why did she, be, I know her position. I think changed. she was desperate. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> she, she must have been, right? No, I think, I'm yeah, I do. I think she was <laughs> um, so the first week at that job, I was just like on cloud nine. I was like, whoa, I'm in the money now, you know? Right. Well, Which is I mean, funny yeah. now. Yeah. But, uh, right. Right. It's all relative, right? It's all relative. Cause and now you're I, making 52,000. You said, no, yeah, I'm kidding. I know I'm, but no, but seriously. So you were making, you were, you were for a month, you worked the, 
receptionist job, right? And I was at $10 an hour. $10 an hour. Okay. 37.5 hours a week. To get the health insurance, right? Yep. Got it. And then you did that for a month or two. I did for exactly one month. Okay. And then, so, I mean, a $50,000, I mean, that is a big, that is a huge jump. Well, and then the commission structure was also very good. So, you know, I had the potential of earning, you know, six figures immediately, really, or pretty, pretty immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was funny because after the first week I had this, um, this inspiration that, you know, oh my God, they hired a, a fake and they're going to figure it out. <laughs> right. And so I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought all the books on sales I could find. And, you know, I've read about a chapter of each one. And then I started going door to door because it was all commercial energy. I knew the area I lived in very well. So I I just started on a corner at an intersection. I started going door to door to businesses because it was fear, Jamie. It was absolute fear driving me. But they, they were um, going to find find you out that you didn't know. They were going to find me out. out. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. have hired a fraud. Well, I've heard a lot of successful salespeople and successful entrepreneurs and business people in general who have started out with door to door sales, whether residential, commercial. Because at the end of the day, books are fine; they're great, and honestly, podcasts are great. But you're not going to learn how to sell insurance through a podcast or how to sell, you know, commercial energy through a book, you're going to learn yeah. it by doing it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you, that's you exactly me. right. Okay. Well, it was, um, you know, it's one of those things when you put something out there, you know, you put this energy out there and, and you have this, this uh, drive, it doesn't always come back to you in exactly the way you think it will, but it does come back to you. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds kind of yeah woo woo, but um, six weeks after my start date. I landed a big account that came to me from, it wasn't one of the doors I knocked on, although I did get business that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, I talked, I had talked to one of the parents at my daughter's gymnastics facility and she said, Oh, I work for this company. I'll get you in. Maybe they'd be interested. Well, she did and they did. And I landed the account. And so um, mid October, I was the top salesperson in the state of Texas. And I remained in that position um, until I left. I was, um, I ended up being hired away and um, which was fortunate because unbeknownst to me at the time, Hurricane Katrina had really wiped them out. So we were, they were closing their doors. Um, So I I sort of avoided that pitfall, Hmm. got hired away. And then during, at that time, my dad came to me, he realized there was somebody in the family who, who had the ability to sell said, I really need you. Um, that, that was a real fortunate happenstance because back in previous October, this was in March, previous October, it turned out my ex-husband had um, dysplasia in his throat. And my current husband, who we were dating at the time, he had, they found cancer in his finger and it was a sarcoma. It was very aggressive. And then my dad had prostate cancer. Wow. This Fast was all at the same time. This right. was October of 2005. Right. Um, my ex-husband was, he had a very good prognosis. My current husband, his was dire. I mean, this, it was very rare and, no, you know, it was like a 0% chance of survival. It was very aggressive. 
Mm-hmm. He's still alive, by the way. He did survive. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I'm very thankful for that. It, it's yeah. not, it's interesting. I mean, you would think when you hear, oh, finger, that's no big deal. And then throat sounds more, um, you know, yeah. threatening. But, but just, his was just pre-cancer. It was like mm-hmm. a little pea-sized deal. And um, they removed it and he was supposed to be fine, but um, he wasn't. And he didn't get better. And then around the same time my dad hired me away, he was um on disability and he could they were doing radiation and he could only speak six whispered sentences a day and he had had his own business so he had um you know it was just we had to rescind the child support agreement and do all these things and I didn't I needed to be at home that that was really the bottom line so I ended up taking a pay cut so that I could go work for the family business but be at home all the time you know because I still had young kids Mm-hmm. And um, tell you, man, the um, it, this is one of the things that I did. That anybody, anybody that's listening to this, you can do this. It, this isn't like magic or anything. Like up until this point, I, and this is something that I did myself. Up until this point, when I thought about who am I, I just thought of all my failures and losses and things that I fucked up and people that I lied to and people that I hurt. And that's what I use to define who I am, the kind of person I am. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I'm gonna, you know, I, it sounds corny, but I'm gonna flip the script. Right. I'm going to mm-hmm. look at this thing and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write down all the good things that I've ever done that I can think of. It ain't mm-hmm. going to be a long list. It's going to be a short list. <laughs> but that's but, what you're going to focus on. But that's I what mean, I'm going to focus on. Right. Right. And that's what I did. And the first thing on the list was I quit smoking cigarettes. That was the first no, that's, thing. Yeah. I mean, and this is when I say this is going to it's going to sound so much less dramatic, you know, but I had a similar shift kind of, you know, just. I was going to work every day, had the nine to five job with a long commute. And, and that I didn't have a terrible life. I'm not saying that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would, I just kind of fell into the, the trap of kind of groundhog day. And that's, this is what life is kind of thing. And then I, re, I re, you know, realized I started pointing to my strengths and the people in my life that, you know, that could help me and kind of just my focus changed. And so it became more about teamwork and growth and strengths and looking at the positive and that for me was a critical piece this was back in you know 2013 2014 just to start Mm -hmm. really kind of ratcheting up the real estate and note investing and things like that but again not not as dramatic (laughs) of a story but but it was really important because I could have easily just gotten caught in you know ho-hum woe is me this is this is my life and and that kind of thing um so the, the mindset piece is critical yeah, I don't, yeah, people don't, I mean, like, people don't have to apologize, like, well, you know, I wasn't that bad, like, it's, this isn't a competition, this isn't no, a race no, no. Of the bottom, right, you know, right, it's like, right. uh, it's, I regret all of that stuff, but sure. if it wasn't for that, I might not be here today, and, and I've, I've tilted the scales where I think I've done more good than bad now, yeah, and, uh, but I just, there's some things I want to mention that, are, that to me are, yeah. are important, Please. that help people to heal, is, you know, like, maybe, 12 years ago or so, I looked up the cop that arrested me. I looked him up on Facebook and I found him. Yeah. And I sent him a message and said, Hey, did you used to work in Eastern District, Baltimore City Police Department? And he didn't respond. And he's probably like, you know, uh oh. And and then I, you know, sent him another message a couple weeks later and I said, Listen, you arrested me September 8th, 1989 on Monument Street, the corner of Monument and Crescent, and you saved my life. 
And I just want you to know that I am truly sorry for all of the shit that I ever did. And that's not how I was raised. And that's not the kind of person I am. And I sincerely regret all of it. And I just want to thank you because you saved my life and I appreciate it. And uh, not too long after that, I got a response from him. And we're friends today. I mean, we've met, we've talked, we, you know, I've got, his, I've talked to him maybe six months ago, I got his number on my phone and we're friends today. And awesome. uh, so I'm was that, was that difficult? I mean, for me? Yeah. No, so not reach at all, out man. No, no, because uh, I'm, that for me is like, it, it's healing for me to express, <laughs> you know, to tell people how yeah. I feel like my remorse and, and regret. Gotcha. But when, when the different side, I called the attorney that like said that life changing mm -hmm. thing to me. Yeah. He, he spoke truth into you is, is yeah. what he did. And I haven't right? talked to him since 1990. Well, this is, I mean, this is like really funny, but I called him. I, he's still practicing law. I mean, he's got to be a hundred years old. Right. And, <laughs> and, and I, I found him in the phone book and I called his office and he got on the phone. You know, the lady's like, well, is he expecting a call from you? And I was like, well, probably not. With which case is this involving? I was like, well, you know, it's a case from like, you know, 1989. All right. And uh, she put him on the phone and I just relayed the story to him. And I just told him how, you know, the comments that he made, it changed my life. And this is where I'm at today. Like, you know, I have a, a great life. I'm a respected member, contributing member of society. I have an amazing son. Like, you know, it's like I've got good friends like good people that that i hang right. out with and and i just wanted him to know that 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 might not have happened if he hadn't said what he had like i that was like just a huge impact mm -hmm. made a huge impact for me and i didn't know it at the time but uh he told me that i was actually on speaker like after i told him this like his okay. whole audience um we could go into a whole whole bunch of them around iron man and um we were joking before the podcast and let me just phrase that I think everybody's adversity is different, yeah, right? For sure. Um, to, to, to some of your guests on the show, I haven't had any adversity and I'll be the first person to say that. I mean, the fact that I was born in America meant that I had the odds stacked in my favor. Um, so I just want to phrase that. Yeah. But I, because of that, I got really interested in Ironmans because I wanted to find a way to proactively find my limits and test hmm. myself and to push myself out there. And I like to tell people when I tell them Iron Man, they're like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. How long have you been doing that? What's your time? All that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm like, look, the, the longer I do this and the faster I get, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> you just get faster. And I mean, I've been on several rides of hundred miles where I feel like I am in tip top shape and the best shape of my life. And then you get towards the end of that ride and you're like, man, this stinks. And I've got nothing left in the gas. I would yeah. encourage everyone out there to find little parts of their life that they can disrupt to make themselves mentally sharp and agile for those situations. And hmm. if you don't know one, I'll give you one right now. Try brushing your teeth with your left hand or your non-dominant <laughs> hand. Yeah. Try switching the mouse over your non-dominant hand. <laughs> Try standing on one foot and, and brushing your teeth. Like those little actions seem small and, and in the grand scheme of the adversity of the guests that you have on your show are small, but they're situations and things that you can do that will better set yourself up to be resilient in those times of adversity when you have them. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the truth is like with, with the show, this is, I think, my fifth episode. And what I'm finding is, in, whether intentionally or not, I'm looking around kind of measuring people's adversity and then measuring their abundance. You know, well, how much hardship has Matt Ford gone through? Does he meet the threshold of being on my podcast? And is he in a, living in an abundant 
life enough to, to be on my podcast, you know, and, it, but it's at the end of the day, it's like, like you said, we, we all, we all go through adversity and that's, the, that's kind of the point of the show is everyone is, is guaranteed to go through hardship and everyone's story is going to be different. So yes, we will compare it's human nature and, you know, it's, we all have relative thinking. We think in a relative way, but there's, but just because you, you know, haven't been shot five times like Fuquan Bilal, that doesn't mean you haven't been through hardship. <laughs> yep. So yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, I, I love the, I don't love that you had to go through hardship, but I love how you've reacted to it and handled it. And you, you do have a growth mindset. Every time we interact, it's always like a positive and, um, you know, inspiring interaction for me. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, I'm just going to fire off a few quick questions for you and, and we'll see what, uh, see where it goes and then we'll wrap it up. Sounds good. Um, if you could have coffee now, this is like your ice cream question. I think if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? Um, I'm going to give you three, uh, okay. Martin Luther King, Jr. Nice. Nelson Mandela and, um, Dick winners from band of brothers. Oh, nice. Okay. Awesome. Um, I always wanted to make the joke when I listen to your show and you say dead or alive, I want to say, uh, I'll choose a live. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think just, a, a dead person would be great to have healthy with. <laughs> you know who I didn't mention? Let me throw a fourth in there. And since my last name four, yeah. I get, I get this yeah, opportunity to do that. Uh, not historical, still alive. Dave Chappelle. Oh, I think nice. Dave Chappelle, yeah. is, Dave Chappelle is wicked, wicked smart. Yeah. The way he tells stories, the way he uh, sets up a joke, like I'm just a student of comedy. I love how people yeah. communicate their art form. And yeah, I think he's, he's awesome. the best in the business by far. Yeah. No, my, my wife and I enjoy his uh, Netflix, you know, whenever yep. he has a show on and, there. And a man who had everything and out of principle said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then came back on his own terms to still be at the top. Like that's incredible. That's awesome. All right. If you were given $10 million tomorrow, what would you do with it? Um, make sure my parents are taken care of. I think they are at this age in their life, but, uh, you never know what could happen. Uh, and then I'm boring. I would probably invest it and then continue to work and do the things that I do. <laughs> um, I would make sure that I invested it. So where my, uh, basic needs were taken care of, but I would still work. Yeah, man. So I've had a lot of adversity in my, in my life and it's led me to abundance. So I can, I can, I'll be happy to talk about this. So you know, some of the adversity that I faced um, was really more so younger in my life than it has been recently. Okay. Uh, but it has molded me and it has shaped me into the person that I am today. So, you know, I lost my I lost both my parents before I was 18. I lost my mother when I was nine and I lost my father when I was 18. So my dad did a great job of raising me, you know, up until I was 18, which I was still a child at 18. You know, they say you're legally sure. an adult at 18, but I was, <laughs> I was a kid still. And, yeah. um, you know, so, yeah, um, growing up hard. without a mother, you know, was, was, was difficult. It wasn't, you know, impossible by any means, but it, it definitely brought some challenges. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then losing my dad at the age of 18 was really tough because I didn't have any parental guidance. I have an older sister, you mm -hmm. know, who's always kind of had my back and kept an eye on me, but she's not my mom. She's not my dad. She's my sister. Sure. And I've had other family, you know, aunts and uncles and grandparents that have obviously been there to help me and to help yeah. guide me. But at the same time, they're not your parents either. 
right? right. So at sure. the age of 18, I was out on my own. And luckily, my grandparents, you know, were were um, really good savers. I'm not a good saver. <laughs> they were. And they were like, hey, we, we would love to have you go to college. You know, we're going to pay for it. And I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. Like amazing people, angels on my shoulder. So they they helped me, you know, go to college for four years and help cover some of those some of those costs. I paid for a little bit of it, but they paid for the majority of it. Um, but because I didn't have any parental guidance, man, I got in a lot of trouble in college. I just was hanging out with the wrong crowd and, you know, was doing a lot of activities that we wouldn't refer to as being good activities. And, you know, a lot of these activities were, were, were very illegal activities. And, you know, I got myself into a lot of trouble. And, um, you know, at one point I was, you know, standing in front of a judge facing seven years in prison. Oh, wow. Or certain, you know, activities that that I was doing. And the judge took mercy on me and was like, you know, you don't have any parental guidance. I think I was like 24 at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and I was crying up on this up on, you know, in court and, and, you know, I didn't want to go to prison, you know? So the judge <laughs> took mercy on me though. And they, and she said, you know, we're not going to send you to jail because this is your first, you know, basically big offense here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, this is real, this is real life. And if you keep, you know, screwing up and, and, right. you know, messing up, you're going to go to jail, dude. And they ended, she ended up giving me a uh, house arrest for nine months, man. So I was on house arrest for nine months because of my activities. This was in, and, in college still, you said, uh, or- in college is when it started, but it rolled over into, you know, into my early twenties too. Right. Got it. Yeah. And, um, but you know, the thing was though. Jamie, that that was one of the best things that ever happened to me, to be honest. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about that or to even say that out loud, but yeah, no. And, and just to quickly jump in, that is one of the things that, you know, we, it's been one of the themes with the shows we've had thus far is that, and of course this takes time and reflection, right? You don't see this in the moment. Typically I would, I would assume, right. But looking back, it's a lot of people have said similar things with very painful, you know, traumatic experiences they've been through is that it is the best thing that ever happened to them. It's one of the best things that's ever happened Um, to me. Absolutely. So so why do you, why do you say that in your, in your case? Well, because if I hadn't gotten caught doing what, what I was doing, um, I would have, I would have still, I would have kept doing it. Yeah. You know, so, um, but yeah, long story short, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I straightened my life out. I quit messing around with the crowd that I was messing around with. I quit messing around with the substances that landed me in that courtroom. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I realized at that point in time that, you know, I had been I had been kind of veering down the wrong path since the age of about 18. So that was, you know, about seven years that I was like, kind of up to no good, you know, and um, what were you at this point? Just, just. Uh, you know, I was, I was about to turn 24 and yeah. my, my wife at the time, uh, I really, really respected her grandpa and I respected her mom too. Her mom was actually my real estate broker. Um, okay. and her grandpa said her grandpa, let me back up a little bit. Her grandpa actually introduced me to Jim Rohn, not mm-hmm. personally, but through cassette right. tapes. And right. I think I talked about this yeah, yeah. podcast. Well, I converted all those things from cassette to CD and would listen to these things driving down the road. And that was, that's where I was introduced to personal development and started realizing life's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Mm-hmm. And another thing my uh, wife's grandpa said to me was join the military, go back to school. You can do this over. Like 
it's not, you can, you can kind of do a reset. So once again, action taker, I'm at the recruiter station at the air force. They wouldn't take me. Air force would not take me. I jumped through all their hoops, a lot of their hoops, but unfortunately mm -hmm. not high enough. And luckily the air force recruiter said, Hey, go next door to the military or to the army. They'll pretty much take anybody. So I'm coachable. I went next door and joined the <laughs> army and I'm in basic yeah. training like two months later. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, with everything you just breeze through, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, that's a big, like you said, it was humbling, but touch on kind of your mindset at that point in time that when you were struggling, um, as far as, yeah, yeah go ahead. You know, just praying for opportunity every night and like, dear Lord, like I'll, I'll, I'll be a better tither, like all these things, but here I am sleeping in till like 10 AM in the morning, but I was also working late. Right. I, that was my excuse. Oh, I'm working late, but mm -hmm. I still could have gotten up early. You know, some of the things that were ingrained in me in the military, like now it's like, I pretty much just wake up automatically at 4 AM and mm -hmm. either I lay there in bed feeling guilty or most of the days of the week, I just get up and, and get some stuff done or, you know, do a Bible study or read a book or, or whatever, start, you know, taking action. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I look back at the, at the person I was back then mm -hmm. and that's who needed to change. It wasn't the economy. It wasn't the dang real estate market. Everyone wants to blame 2008. Wah, wah, wah. Like <laughs> I bet you people, I know people that absolutely freaking crushed it in 2008. Right. right. And sure. Uh, one of those guys, I'll, I'll just do a shout out right now. His name is Michael Jake. His biggest problem is all of his friends have regular jobs mm. and he doesn't have to work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So he, they, he can't relate to them on some level. Um, but no. Yeah. Gotcha. So, okay. So join the military and then what? So join the military and the hustler came back out. That year. <laughs> Nice. Um, I, I joined as an E1 and I'm let me tell you, my, it still was not covering my bills, my E1 salary. So I just had to hustle in basic training. I was pulling fire guard for guys at night. I was like mm -hmm. making the bunk beds in the morning. Um, and so you were an AIT. entrepreneur already. I yeah. mean, you were already an entrepreneur before that, but you were using your hustle, hustler skills, hustling yeah. skills in basic training. Whenever graduation came, we got that one day to kind of go and celebrate with family. I had like a pocket full of cash and i was like okay i'm gonna spend some of this now did you um, uh did you well you probably didn't have they probably switched over the boots by then because we had people doing uh boot shining for people no in the, uh, yeah <laughs> there was no shining boots yeah. in my thank god man yeah it was like uh, five bucks had, to get your boots shined or something like that but there were guys that were like all night long just shining boots you know making making a lot of money wow yeah, I'll tell you. And then AIT came and then we would have dress blue inspection. Actually, it was dress, it was our, our AC or greens back mm -hmm. then. Um, and I would iron those for these guys mm -hmm. on Fridays uh, because they would have to do an inspection to get their weekend pass. And I wasn't mm -hmm. going out on weekend passes. I didn't like my wife lived, you know, in the next state over. Like we weren't seeing each other very often. Um, so I would rack up money doing that. And then mm -hmm. um, it's time to move again. And you know, just, uh, off to Germany and basically I was stationed there for three years and then was on back to back deployment, the schedule and, you know, made money in on deployments. Uh, I would literally mm -hmm. buy cartons of cigarettes. I, I, I've never really, I've never told this story on a podcast. <laughs> Here we go, people. This is
Yeah, I'm um I'm definitely a big rocks kind of person. And that goes to the analogy when you're trying to put a bunch of rocks, big rocks, small rocks, and sand into a jar. If you focus on the sand first, then the big rocks won't fit. But if you put in the big rocks first, the sand will pour in and it'll fill in all mm-hmm. of the empty spaces. And so um, I mean, I've heard that analogy plenty of times and it never really struck me as you know mind-blowing when I heard mm-hmm. it. But as time goes on, I recognize that that's just the way that I deal with life. And that's the way that I solve problems. I like to find uh, one solution that will, that will spread out or trickle down and solve a lot of other, other -hmm. problems. And so I would say that um, there's a book that I read when I started homeschooling, especially when we really switch strategies to something called unschooling, where we're not doing a lot of formal education. And because like you said, six kids homeschooling, it would be too much work, it would be unsustainable. And so I'm mm-hmm. trying to find a sustainable way to educate my children without mm-hmm. making myself crazy. And so so finding the big rock that's going to solve all these problems, uh, there's this book in the unschooling community called Nonviolent Communication. And it was written by uh, somebody who worked in the international community doing a lot of um, negotiations, political negotiations, like um, Jewish and Palestinian, you know, over the Israeli borders kinds of situations. And his main premise in that book that that really hit me hard was you cannot control other people. And he didn't really say it that overtly, mm-hmm. but it's like the only thing that you can hope to do is communicate and you can't even make sure that they hear you. You can't even make sure that they understand you because that's what mm-hmm. we say. We all just want to be heard, but we can't even control whether or not mm-hmm. we're heard. All we can do is communicate. And then that's it. And the rest you need to let go. And so when I started recognizing that I could categorize my life by things that I, I can control and things that I can't control, that eliminated pretty much everything. Yeah, in my that's life. really good. Yeah. So you take the situation, let's take um, my son you, that you mentioned. Um, he has autism. We deal mm-hmm. with a lot of autism uh, in my family and um you know, people who have autism, who don't believe autism is a thing. It's, it's, um, it's been, it's been fun to learn to deal with emotions and socializing and and deal with adversity and all those kind of things. When, when you don't quite think about things the same way that other people do. Um, And so it's like, you recognize that you can't control that situation and there's nothing you can do about it. And so you stop Mm -hmm. worrying about it because we used to think with my son, when he was growing up, like, what did we do? how did we cause this? Like my husband right, right. would, would obsess over the way that he would come in and see that he was loading the dishwasher the wrong way. And he'd say, no, the plates go this way and the bowls go that way. And then my son became very, very controlling and obsessive that certain things were the right way. And you had to follow the rules and this is not the way that it's done. And mm-hmm. my husband really thought that it was because he had these very particular ways of having him do things as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and then blaming we, him. your husband was blaming himself, right? Blaming himself. But then we mm-hmm. step back and realize like, we cannot control the fact that our son has autism. We did not yeah. cause this. We did not create this. And once you let right. that go, then yeah. you can start focusing on, okay, how do we, how do we cope? Obviously he still has autism, but right. when you stop the blame game and you stop the what if game. So when you stop the, what if I can control this game, you only focus in on what you can control. Yeah. And what we notice is most of it goes away. The other parts of it, you really can get focused in on what you can control. And then the there are a few things that you cannot control that you're still really upset about. Mm-hmm. It's really bothersome. It's really stressful. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that we found that we need to do some more inner work yeah. on. How to not let that stuff bother you. And you have two right. options there. You can either expand your, your circle of control or you can just learn how to stop letting it bother you. 
Thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us, your time. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and fellow podcast listeners. One entrepreneur at a time, we can change the world. See you next time. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation. Available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.